this week on the Back Table Podcast. I don't know if some people this resonates with, but like when you're in private practice, it can oftentimes feel like you're on an island out there and you don't have the same camaraderie or the same like uh, mentorship that you might have like in an academic practice. So for me, success would be if we can help those practitioners, whether it be in academia or private practice, like bridge that gap between, you know, what people in academics are, are putting in papers, what you're hearing at SIR and other conferences, if we can bring some of that knowledge to make it more accessible and then in the process kind of change how people are consuming their IR education, that would be success to me. Thanks everybody for joining us on this week's episode of Back Table. Today is the 100th episode of Back Table, and so we're turning the tables on the founders. We have here Aaron Fritz, MD, Chris Beck, MD, and Mike Barreza, MD. And we're fortunate enough to be able to talk to them, and they're going to reveal all of their secrets on how to be, uh, how to start a podcast empire. So if any of this is interesting to you, listen on. So Aaron, let's start with you. Tell me, where did this idea come from? How did it all happen? Thank you for having us and doing this, Mary. We really appreciate it. You know, it's funny thinking back to when we first started, we were like dreaming of having you on the show, Chris, Mike, and I. And so when we finally got you on the show, it was like, a, it was a really big deal. So this is even, this is a much bigger deal having you uh, do this for us on the, on our, in honor of our 100th episode. Originally, it was not a, meant to be a podcast. Originally, Backtable was going to be a app where docs could share information, their opinions about devices. And it was, it was, it, we did create it and it existed for about what, a year or two got Chris? I think two years. Yeah. Two years. And, um, we had mild success and we enjoyed putting it together. At first it was a group of, you know, the, just kind of the guys we knew that we were all putting in information about devices. The idea was that, you know, kind of like when you're buying something on Amazon, you tend to look at the reviews before you buy. We wanted uh, to provide that kind of information so that before you tried a new device on the shelf, you had a resource to know, you know, from your peers, whether or not that device was worth using and different like little tricks to it and basically giving it a five, you know, whether it be a one, one to five star rating. And so we had all that worked out on the app, but you know, once we, once basically all our friends had, were done writing reviews, we, we kind of, we plateaued in engagement. And so my co-founder, Anish Parikh, who's not on this podcast, but he's, uh, he's not a physician, but everybody in his family is, he had the idea of, look, Aaron, Chris, you guys are going to have to do something to engage people, to bring them to the platform. You can write a blog, you can do a podcast. So, you know, but it's gotta be something, some kind of content that we create to bring people to the platform. And I had never, I didn't listen to podcasts. Chris actually was familiar with podcasts. Yeah. Can I, can I jump in? Sure. Yeah. Before Aaron tells like the whole story of Fact Table, Anish came to us and was like, gave us a couple of different options as to things that we could do to like increase our user or, you know, the, the user engagement. And everything sounded like a lot of work. And so in our mind, the podcasting would be the absolute easiest thing. I listen to a ton of podcasts. Like, I, I mean, I exclusively listen to podcasts now. Never, I haven't listened to the radio in like five years. And so we decided to jump into the podcast almost exclusively because we thought it would be the easiest thing to do. Not because it was like this super well thought out plan of like, you know, the podcast empire, 
it was like the minimum amount of energy for like what we thought would be the maximum amount of engagement. Well, fun fact, Chris, the average listener listens to seven shows a week. Wow. Oh my gosh. Seven, seven different shows? Seven different shows. No, no, just my shows. Our seven different shows. <laughs> seven of the episodes that I recorded. <laughs> They're catching up on Backtable, yeah. <laughs> okay, so Aaron, where did the name Backtable come from? So another, yeah, interesting story. We struggled at first to kind of come up with a good name. I'm trying to remember what the other names were. Because Chris, when you came on, it was already Backtable, right? It was already Backtable. That had already been decided. Yeah. And it, the other names were so bad. And we just, i that's why I probably blocked them out of my memory. But I just could not come up with anything. And one night, my wife, who's a pediatric ENT doc, also, sir, you know, she's a surgeon. She said, hey, you know, what about the name Backtable? It's something that we all use, all proceduralists use, and it's part of pretty much every surgery or procedure. And so it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a code word for surgical subspecialists. And I was like, huh. And, you know, it actually, we, we kind of toyed with it for a few days, but every physician we, we told it to, we were like, yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. So that's, that's where the idea came from, from my wife, my very talented, well, lovely, so beautiful wife. listen to your wife. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But the back, the back table name is so good because it's so inside baseball. Like, right. Like, I mean, yeah. like everyone knows what it is. Every procedure has a back table. And like, as soon as like you, I mean, like, I don't know, as soon as I heard it, I was like, wow, I sure hope we can get backtable.com. That's immediately what I thought. <laughs> yeah. And we yeah, did. So a niche podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Mike. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your initial involvement and your startup in, in this endeavor. So I was a fellow, I was at, at Penn and I actually remember this very vividly. I was sitting outside of a case and sitting in the control room, I'm on my, I'm on my phone and, and somebody had been tweeting about this stuff about Backtable and I'm like, that's an interesting name. And I looked at it and I thought it was a really cool idea. You know, back then I, mean, I was about to start a job where I was going to be working at eight different hospitals and, you know, I had all different equipment. So I was like this, this whole idea of, of you know, comparing, contrasting, learning about devices really appealed to me. And, and my first thought was, God, I really wish I had had that idea. And so I, I knew Chris and I, I sort of knew Aaron from Chris and I trained together and, and Aaron was a fellow when I was a resident. And so I just bugged them and just pestered them until they let me be a part of it. I mean, I, I was just texting and emailing Chris all the time, with ideas and you know, I don't talk to Aaron about it. And finally, uh, they just got sick of it and they had to let me join. It was, it was just too much. This is like the podcast version of the Man Cave TV show. Do you remember that show? Where they all <laughs> sat around and drank beer? <laughs> yeah. So, that, so it's funny you mentioned that though, Mary, because when Anish first pitched it to Chris and I, the idea was based off, he was like, look, have you ever heard of, have you ever listened to NPR's Card Talk? Click yep. and clack. You know, and it's, it's basically edutainment, right? People call in, they talk about, you know, you know they, their problems with their cars and click and clack would diagnose a problem and give them a solution, but they'd be pretty entertaining along the way. Not that Chris and I are that entertaining, but we, you know, that was kind of like what we came into it thinking in terms of being more of an informal discussion, not like a, you know, not describing a manuscript or something like that. I wonder what happened to those guys. You know, cars are so automated now. I, I loved listening to them when I was growing up, when you can like get under the hood, but now you can't do any of that stuff. 
Yeah. Dude, think cl- Click and Clack, they were they they retired the show like five years ago. I remember it distinctly because like Click and Clack were like for me, like one of the original like podcasts. Like I listened to like all the like retired episodes and then they just I remember when they were taking it off the air. It was a sad day for me. Because of the computers, because of the computerized cars, yeah. I bet. Okay. Chris Beck, tell me about your intro to all of this. So I, I don't remember what year it was, but Aaron came to me uh, during SIR. One of the things that, I mean, I don't know if we've told anyone or, or people or listeners are aware, like the common thread that like runs between everyone in Backtable basically is like Vanderbilt. Like, so I knew Aaron when I was a resident and I was rotating through IR, he was the fellow. And then Barraza was two years behind me. So we were all kind of connected to this Vanderbilt family. But Aaron came to me at SIR and was asking me, if I'd be interested and kind of describe like the original concept of the app, which was uh, basically like the way I understood it was like Yelp reviews, but for interventional radiology stuff and not like a proud fact, but I'm a, I'm a big Yelper. Like I do a lot of Yelping. I do a lot of like meta review sites, like I'm big into meta review sites. And so this resonated with me. I was like, yes, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> and I just felt like there was a lot of knowledge that's lost in between like the academia of SIR, the fellowship, And then like, I feel like there's all this stuff in between, like when you get out into practice about like nuances of the devices, like tips, tricks, trade secrets, like different things that, I don't know, that I I feel like they're out there. If you can just like harness all that wisdom for all all the IR docs out there. So that's where I thought the real power of the, uh, the app would be. And like all this, like pooling of all these resources. So Aaron came to me and talked about the app and I was on board like immediately. Like, I mean, he was like, halfway done telling me about it. And I was, I was just kind of like nodding my head the whole time. Like, yes, yes, of course we should do this. Yeah. So that explains Peter Bream. Yes, exactly. Okay. Cause I, yeah. the, for the listeners, the first episode of Backtable was bone marrow biopsy devices. The second episode was G-tubes two ways with Peter Bream. Third episode was tunnel dialysis catheters with Peter Bream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bream and, and Brandis. And Brandis. Bre- yeah. yeah. Bream, so Bream was my fellowship director at Vandy and, uh, you know, t- attending for these guys when they were residents. And it's funny because I I did, when I was a fellow, at the end of my fellowship, it's when I had the idea about the the, the device app and Bream and I talked about it a little bit. And then, you know, it, he was like, well, have you ever heard of whichmedicaldevice.com? And I was like, yeah, but that's over in England. And I'm talking about the U.S., like the U.S. needs its own thing. And then it took me three years until I was sitting on the couch talking to Anish. We were drinking beers, watching hockey, and Anish was telling me what he does. He basically is a startup accelerator, or, or what's the other way to describe it, Chris? Like I thought, I like startup accelerator. I feel like yeah, he, that like sounds he really just, cool. He just kind of like told me that he is in the business of helping businesses go to market, get started. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. He, yeah, he helps startups get, get started. And, um, so I told him about the idea and he was like, you know, and him having some medical background, he basically was like, look, we, we should make this happen. And, you know, he convinced Gopi and I, and then, and then he's, I think he's really the one, even though I described it to you, Chris, I think Anish was the one that sealed the deal by the end of SIR that it was DC. Oh, it was, it was in DC. Yeah. Anish, I think Anish was the one who like pitched it at the end, but I mean, that was that was one of the nuts and bolts of the business. That wasn't like really the concept of like what Backtable was. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so then did you get an app writer? And I mean, you've oh, self-funded yeah. and you had somebody write. <laughs> oh, so tell us about that story. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Who do we have? Yeah. Right. 
Those were, yeah, those were the down years of Backtable. I mean, early on. Hold on. Before Aaron talks about the down years, one, the app is the shit. The app is good. People still ask me about the app and if it's ever coming back. So it's not, I mean, the app was really, really cool and it's still a really, really good idea. The problem with the app is that it's very, very resource intensive, which is what we had no idea about. But right. I'll let Aaron give his two cents about it because I'm still a big fan of the app. I love the app. No, I'd say, I'd say the downers because of what is goes into also finding a good developer, right? We went yeah. through a lot of developers. God. We went through some that were very painful in the very beginning. And then we finally found one that was good. And then, you know, like, I don't know, he worked with us for maybe a year and then he moved on to bigger and better things and left us with somebody else who, there were way worse things. Just, <laughs> yeah. How long did it take for this app to get written? And did you self-fund it? Yes. Yeah. So it was, it was money, seed money from myself, Gopi, Chris, Mike. Yeah. In, in the very beginning. And so, so you're writing checks and you're watching these app developers give you nothing and you're going on year after. <laughs> sounds like a startup. Sounds like a typical. Yeah, totally. Very much yeah, you, you know it, Mary. You know yeah. it. Uh, and we're not really wired for that. We're wired for like you do X and Y follows. You do, mm -hmm. then you do Z and double A follows or whatever. But the kind of ups and downs of entrepreneurship and business development can be a really frustrating time frame. And you could put a, a lot of your own resources and not feel like you're getting anything back for a while. I think right. like there was, there were some lessons learned in that though. Like, I feel like after like we came out of the fire of which was multiple versions of that app, like we give a lot of consideration now where we direct our time and our funds. Like, like very immediately after the app and we were like moving, we were basically pivoting to the podcast. We were so lean that, I mean, you could basically run it off. I don't know, like 500 bucks, like paid for everything that we were doing in terms of like mics and Zoom conference meetings. Like we didn't pay for anything for a while. You're right. We learned a lot about just being lean and, <laughs> yeah. and the lean startup. I actually read that book and I was like, this is what we got to do and cut it down to just the bones. And, and that, I think that's how we survived, you know, until we, until the podcast really took off and it took us a while to realize that the podcast was really what we were, you know, our product was and what our passion was too, at least for me. I mean, I really enjoyed, I mean, we like, you know, the, the app is something excellent and, and, and we like to put, you know, t our time and effort into that, but I just did, I had no idea that I would enjoy producing editing podcasts as much as I do as, as basically like a hobby now. I, I think that that's one of the things I'm, I'm proudest of with what we've done is that, you know, I'm with Chris. I, I thought that the app was a great idea and I, I really thought we had a lot of room to grow. And at first when we started the podcast, just, I didn't, I don't want to say I thought it was a bad idea. It's like, I just don't think that this is going to be our focus. And I think we all just did a good job of kind of pivoting and, you know, just kind of gauging the, the reactions to what we were doing and, and just running with it. I was going to ask this question at the end, but it seems timely now. So you went from app, app development, podcast, podcast development, podcast took off, app kind of went slow, but steady. What is the next? What's next? So I want to talk a little bit about Michael though. And when he came on, because when he came on, it was perfect timing where we had done what five or six episodes, we, you know, we did the one with Chris and I, we did the one with Breen Brandis. and, and Brandis. Brandis and I went to residency together and then Brandis ended up being Michael's attending at Penn during his fellowship. So Anish was 
was hosting all these. The first five, I think, Anish hosted. Even the one early one was Shiloh. We had Shiloh on. And we and then Anish called me up and he was like, Look, man, I, I really like, you know, it's a great idea to do the podcast, but he's like, I can't host these anymore. You know, it's it's takes a lot of prep, you know, the editing, all this stuff. So I was like, all right, well, teach me how to do the editing. I let me talk to Chris. And we and that that's when like Mike and I were talking about him getting involved. And then it was just like a perfect transition because Michael had a knack for the hosting as well, in addition to Chris. And so between all, all of a sudden, we went from a niche hosting to all three of us kind of sharing that responsibility. And it just worked out great because we all could bring on the people we want to bring on. Michael was like a, a new attending, you know, very excited about getting to know these people using Twitter as a resource, getting to know people via Twitter. And so that like to me was kind of like, I don't know, I feel like it kind of saved us because I don't, Chris probably shares, you know, with me, like, I don't, I'm not that excited about actually hosting, but Michael really brought some energy to that. So getting the right people for the right job. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's why I call me the savior of (laughs) Agri. We should put that on the website. That's why your role on the website is to make babies and have babies. (laughs) Because that's what you do, Michael. (laughs) But Michael was like when Michael came in, it was like the the idea of having to keep doing those podcasts was a little bit daunting. And so Michael kind of came in at just the right time to like help shoulder a lot of the workload. Because as Aaron said, like, I I mean, I I mean, I don't want to speak with Aaron for Aaron, but I I never felt like I was a natural podcast host. And you know, for me, a lot of prep goes into it and a lot of work and, and you know, have to kind of grind it out where Michael, I feel like, kind of came in more of a natural feel, very comfortable in the seat and also had like a lot of enthusiasm for like, you know, new pot topics that I probably would have been a little uh, shy about taking on. So, yeah, we were. Oh, we were totally. Like, like, come in. What episode? Because number eight was, I felt when it changed was IR in Saudi Arabia. Oh, it, it went device, that- device, device. And then it went. Yeah. Outside. Yeah. So I had gotten to know Abdul Aziz via Twitter and I thought, Hey, it'd be a cool idea to bring somebody on like who is very active. He was very active on Twitter and LinkedIn showing, you know, sharing cases and interacting with us docs. And I was like, let's bring this guy on the show. And, um, you know, I feel like that was our first kind of, I mean, Shiloh's, you know, vain one. He always likes to say is the greatest hit and and it is, it is, but, but. (laughs) But Abdul Aziz was like an overnight sensation in Saudi Arabia. We also, we got like 200 plays like overnight. And I was like, whoa, you know? And so he just had a lot of fans in the Middle East, you know, around IR. And so that's when we were like, well, let's, let's take this global. Let's do more, you know, global outreach type stuff. And then Michael, I think was after that, right? What was your first one, Ari? I think mine was like one I did on my cell phone with Stephen Hunt. Oh, you're right. On the phone. I was literally like walking around outside of my yard. Yeah, lung ablation. <laughs> I thought I did. I thought I did lung ablation with uh, Hunt. Yeah, he has both of you guys on. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. So it sounds like it was a serendipitous exposure to a wider audience when all of a sudden you realized that 200 people in Saudi Arabia might be interested in this. I mean, right. who would have thought? And then from there, I can see how it expand to maybe vascular surgeons or maybe, or whomever, ENT. Yeah. Or is it not that thought out? 
Well, it was. We always had the plan. You know, I mentioned Gopi being an ENT and being an early, my wife, Gopi Shaw, being an ENT and being an early investor. There was always the plan to expand beyond IR. In fact, early days of the app actually had a whole urology section. And so another partner on the team, Jose Silva, he was, he was like one of the early guys and he actually built out a urology section. And again, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of ways to bring people to the app. So we are like, well, let's start with the IR podcast. Maybe someday we'll get to a urology podcast or ENT podcast. So it was always kind of on the, there, just on the back burner. And, you know, we wanted to see how far we could take it. So how do you stay focused now? Because now that you've run through this game multiple times, I mean, you can see the sky is probably the limit. So how do you stay directed and focused? I mean, do you guys get together and discuss what does the next year look like? Or are you just continuing to wing it <laughs> for lack of a better term? Chris, you want to take that one? I want to hear what Michael would say about this first. <laughs> Why, Chris? <laughs> Is he yes. going to use it against you, Mike? When I know you say that. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, there, there is a lot, a lot of discussion that, that goes into, you know, where we go next. And, and there are a lot of ideas and, and some we run with and some we don't, but one of the biggest challenges that, that we've had and will continue to have both with the podcast and both on, on our end is, I mean, we're, we're dealing with, with, with lots of doctors and mm -hmm. finding a time where everybody can meet and, and talk is extraordinarily challenging. It's one of our biggest challenges. And, you know, our events, you know, either the, the internal ones and the podcast, you know, we, we're always ready to, to just change the schedule because it's just going to happen. And, but when we can, you know, we have a lot of discussions that sometimes they're long and, you know, we try our best to plan them, but yeah, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. I will, I will echo Michael's sentiment in that, yes, the, one of the biggest challenges we have is that everyone uh, does this as like part of a passion project. I mean, aside from the great back table swag, the sweatshirts, you know, it, it, we're not doing this because it's making us filthy rich, but it's a huge time investment. When I think about like how we used to get together, we always used to try and get together at SIR. So like whenever we were all going to be in the same spot, we would try and uh, link up. Were we in Nashville for SI? No, why were no, we all in Nashville? No, we just we made a special trip. Yeah, we just, it was just kind of like a um, yeah. back table session. Yeah, so we, we've we actually even made it a point to like all go to the same spot. We went to Nashville one time and our, our meeting consisted of, we went to dinner, but we also, we did paintballing. <laughs> we did a paintballing event. The infamous business trip. Anywhere now under the guise of a business trip and do That's pretty true. much anything. <laughs> it was worth it. I've never been paintballing before. Yeah, it was by far the best paintball. Yeah. I just want to make sure everybody knows that. Yeah, it's a great team building experience, right? Great ideas come out from Alaskan fishing trips. Yeah. You Caribbean know, <laughs> Yep. Um, trips to Vegas generally Vegas, and bad yeah. things if you're videoing. <laughs> yeah. And then now, you know, in, in you know the post-COVID world, I mean, we we meet at least two or three times a month. I mean, a lot of Zoom meetings, but you know, like like Michael said, it's hard to like get everyone in the same spot, even if it's virtually. But as we're as we're kind of growing and this is getting bigger, we are devoting more uh, time to it. And there's certainly more of I think an approach to more organ more organization around what we're doing. So you can't make a living doing this. I think you could. You could. And the thing is, I mean, I I, I the thing is. It's and I it's going to sound like such a jerky thing to say. You you could make a living doing like podcasting and interventional radiology. 
you just can't make the same living doing podcasting as you would as an interventional radiologist. Yeah. We could fire everyone. <laughs> yeah. Very lean. You have employees now. Yeah, we do. And I mean, you have a real, do you have infrastructure? Do you have a corporate agreement? Do you have a, an attorney? Like, do you have all that stuff too? Yeah. Anish can, you know, make sure oh. that we have all that stuff. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's his department. Yeah. He's um, still involved. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 For sure. I will say like our attorney who I don't think any of us, maybe Aaron's met him, but he got us, we are, we are trademarked. Yeah. Nice. I remember when I've done my that, Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. We even had a, we even had a debate within the company when we wrote down back table, should we put the TM next to it? Right. right. We're talking yeah. about that. Yeah. I'm going to hey, try to get another company going called pack table with a P <laughs> or with a capital well, B capital T. So Chris is still threatening to go off on his own and start back table. Uh, yeah. Right. Hey, but, all about epic shortcuts. Yeah. Yeah. So there is, there is always the back table spinoff, which could be a major competitor. I will also say like as new, um, different ways to connect. I mean, we're right now we're very active in Twitter, LinkedIn, and a lot of other social media, but as new stuff comes out like TikTok or Instagram, my girlfriend, Sherry, gobbles up the back table handles and she hoards them until we want them. So, yeah. You guys get Yelp reviews? Uh, no, we get reviews on iTunes. Which... Chris, you should know this. Well, do, you yeah, I know, I know review, we do you want people to review on what would what can listeners do to support that review? Definitely. I mean, as Chris mentions at the end of every episode, we we would love iTunes reviews. I don't think Spotify, Spotify doesn't do reviews, right? I don't think so. The only other one that does is... Stitcher? Let me say... Yeah, I, I think it's just Apple. Uh, no, but that definitely, that definitely helps. Yeah, okay. you go to iTunes. Everybody yeah. out there, review on iTunes. Yeah, that'd be helpful. So let's talk about um, interviewing and interviewees. I listened to... A Gloria uh, Steinem and Howard Stern podcast once, which was interesting. And they were talking about his interview skills. And he is actually the best interviewer. Number two is David Letterman. Number three is Oprah Winfrey. And number four is Jon Stewart. So I, I thought a lot about how it is to interview people. The most watched interview is Oprah Winfrey interviewing Michael Jackson with 90 million views. Yeah. What's, your, what's your favorite interview? How do, how do you like interviews to go? Do you have a person? Do you have people that you love interviewing? Do you sometimes get off and think, wow, that was that was horrible. That was rough. We're not having them back on. I think Michael, I think Michael should handle this one. I have a lot to say. For one, it it turns out a lot of the time I'm wrong. When I think it goes really well or really badly, not everybody agrees. There's some that I've done that I'll text here. I was like, girl, that was garbage. And then I'll hear later that week, they're like, God, that was amazing. That's the best one you've ever done. It literally happened recently. The other thing I've noticed is that the ones that, that I think are really bad or really good, it doesn't really correlate with how many listens. You know, the ones that get a lot of the listens, you know, on mine are, are some of the worst ones I've done in terms of like how interesting they seemed or how the rapport was. People really care about what the content is, what we're talking about. You know, if it's a, if it's a topic that is really relevant to a lot of listeners, they're going to listen. But some things we've learned along the way, you know, spend some time at the beginning talking to your guest and kind of get to know them a little bit. I try to learn a little bit about the guest beforehand if I haven't already, but there are certain guests that are just, they're so good at it. You know, some of them are just, they're just naturals and 
You know, like it doesn't matter what we throw at them. It, they just seem so polished and, you know, and, and, and others, some are just really good personalities that you can, you can really establish a great rapport with, but you know, I, I think what makes a good podcast on my end and what, what makes a good podcast for the listeners, they're not necessarily the same thing. What do you guys think? Well, I, I totally agree that, I mean, as, as when you're doing the podcast and then sometimes having to go back and listen to yourself, you know, it, it's just natural that you want, like you yourself want to sound really good and you, and you want a lot of things that are good about the podcast and you kind of lose focus or lose touch that no one really gives a shit about how we sound or how, how the guests might, you know, go on a little bit long or some of the things that like we think about when we think about good podcasting or a good show, like it's content is king. And so everyone just like cares about the content. So I know like for myself, like I get wrapped up in, and like, is our audio good? Like, you know, did that one go a little bit long? Was it a little bit short? But it turns out like the content is what matters the most. And then Aaron makes us uh, like Eric, do, Aaron uh, does all our post-production stuff. And he always makes us sound so good in the end. I mean, like he takes out a lot of stuff and makes us sound more polished than we truly are. So I think we all end up being pretty good. I will say, I think there are like a small number of guys that you get, well, guys and girls that are just like good talkers. There, there's something about the way that they deliver, how they come across. Like I always said a niche, like he's got like that gravel in oh, his voice. Like just, yeah, it just comes off so solid like on the mic. But other than that, I think it's all about like who you're getting and like what they're talking about is what is what makes all the difference. Yeah, I used to do, well, I still do. I mean, a ton of prep goes into these, but it, I used to get to the point where I would literally write out everything I was going to say from the very beginning to the very end, like verbatim, and I would read it. And, and sometimes that would work out really well. Uh, and sometimes it would just be so dry. I go back and forth between that and like bullet points, but Anish does sound so good that at one point I brought up the idea of having me write out the whole thing and just send it to him and let him read it. <laughs> the interview? Yeah, right. Oh. Right out the interview? He sounds like he's supposed to be on television or radio. Mm -hmm. yeah. I sound like a buffoon who's good at asking questions. I think you guys all have great radio voices, by the way. I listen to, I have, I, I can't stand, listen to the talk radio. You can get a wrong voice and it just is awful. And the right voice, like there are people who are meant to be on radio and there's people who are not. I think you guys all have good radio voices. Is one of those people. Yeah. yeah. I do not feel like I fall into that category. Well, so a lot of this, the editing, Aaron, how did you learn how to edit? Because I think. <laughs> I think that product is probably, I don't know what percent you'd give it to, 50% interview, 50% edit, or I would even, or even more down to the editing. So how did you learn how to do that? YouTube videos. No, I mean, I, <laughs> that's not at all. Right. No, Anish gave me the basics with GarageBand. I mean, I was, I like, I like Apple's, you know, applications because they always make it very user-friendly. Like I would always make little movies with iMovie with my, for my kids, you know, and uh, put music to it and stuff like that. And so I found iMovie pretty easy to, to learn and GarageBand wasn't much of a stretch from that. So Anish gave me the basics and then I kind of just learned the rest watching YouTube videos. That's with GarageBand. Now, recently I learned... Descript, which is a whole different level of sophistication in terms of editing. And it allows like there, it allows for, to, to be able to do so much more faster. And so like, for example, just to give you an example, filler words, you know, people commonly will fill in with, uh, um, you can select it. First of all, it transcribes it immediately with, within like a minute, the whole recording. And so you're watching 
the, the text while you listen to it. And so you can just highlight it, an uh or an um, and right click and say, remove filler words. And it will identify every uh and um through the whole recording and delete it. No way. Uh, yeah. And then and you can, like, that used to take me probably 45 minutes on GarageBand. It takes me, you know, like I said, 30 seconds to a minute on Descript. So, so it's that's, how, that's why you have all your uh, podcasts typed out on your blog. I thought you were sending them probably to an assistant somewhere overseas to type those out. Well, we to did. get it to, to get them that fine tuned, you actually have to, I use something called rev.com and it, it pays, it's like a dollar a minute. So for a 30 minute podcast, it costs about 30 bucks and they do a really good job. It's like probably 99% accurate, even with the medical terminology. The Descript will roughly translate. It's enough to use for editing, but for the purposes of getting that stuff on, on our website, then I use rev.com. Shout out to them. Is that voice recognition or is it an actual person? I probably believe, a combo. Huh? I think it's a combo. Yeah. Or, or they might just have actual people like transcriptionists because that's, you know, they all lost their jobs with radiology. I know. I still use one. I still dictate on a little thing and then a wave file sends off in the sky to a person <laughs> who types it up because what? I can't be slowed down by this dragon stuff. It's oh. going back power scribe. Typing, and yeah, power scribe. And so there's nothing like a good transcription. <laughs> That's awesome. away. Yeah. It takes me about 15 seconds to dictate a note versus like six minutes to power scribe it or something. I figured it out one time. Nice. Listening back to like the one you mentioned, bone marrow biopsy or G tubes, the audio and you know Mike talking about talking, you know calling in on his cell phone. The audio is so bad, and now you know you just once you get an ear for it, and you know Kieran will agree, it you just can't tolerate that anymore. And so you know now we send microphones to everybody. We make we try and optimize the audio as best as possible because yes, the content is is very important and that's pr the primary piece but i have less tolerance for bad audio i mean even like you know some of the podcasts that are out there these days when the when the guest calls in and has a bunch of echo i it's just hard to to listen to you know yeah i think so, it, i think at some point i think i feel like it was like 30 episodes ago at some point we decided like one of the differentiating factors for us should be our audio quality like that was just going to be a given like we said all the hosts have to have like high quality plugged into the like plugged into an ethernet, like cause high speed that makes a lot of difference for audio quality. Yeah. Everyone got mics. Everyone had like, we always record, we do a couple of things like really optimize our audio. And we just made a commitment to that. Maybe like, I don't know. I feel like that was like relatively recent, like six months. Maybe. Yeah. I got, I got ethernet wired in by maybe four yeah. months ago. Yeah. And so you invested in that with equipment and people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Kieran, sure. Kieran. Um, yeah, we should give a shout out, shout out to Kieran who's listening right now. And yeah, and he, he, he helps keep me in line because a lot of the time it's my fault. Where do you find an audio guy? Like, I don't think I guys. We got music guys. industry. You have you guys. <laughs> <laughs> it all goes back to Vanderbilt. <laughs> no, we got, we, we got a really good one. We've got a, a nice one that I, I don't dislike, which is very helpful. <laughs> it's always plus. Yeah. Where did, where did Kieran come from? I don't even know. Kieran, what, oh, Upwork. Oh yeah, Upwork. Yeah, man. Yeah. What's Upwork? How did you find him there? Another one of these, like these platforms that Anish tells us about. You know, he's in the startup world, so there's a zillion applications out there. You know, other startups out there that help other startups, and Anish is pretty tuned into all that. So 
I know he finds a lot of his his help on on Upwork. Yeah, that's how the OBL world is. It's all yeah. the managers and business people and reps. It's all this back alley mm-hmm. work. He's stuck. <laughs> right. Yeah, I love it though. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Do you have any mentors in this field besides? I mean, I, I know you have a niche, but is there? Or do you personally, any of you have any people outside of this sphere that you call ever? Oh, for IR? Yeah. For I mean, podcasting. Oh, for podcasting? Hmm, I don't know. No, I don't I think nobody. So. I have my own. I just listen to a ton of podcasts, but I don't think we need um, any of us. Well, can... hey, Chris, you know what we should mention, though, is Gimlet what? Media. You know, no. that's, you're right. Like Gimlet Media was like kind of always an inspiration. So I, I'll tell that story a little bit. Yeah. So there is a podcast in particular that's put out by a podcast production company called Gimlet Media. And the name of the podcast is uh, Startup by, I'm blanking on his name. Al- Alex Bloomberg. Alex Bloomberg. And he did an awesome podcast about him starting up his podcast company. And so, you know, I mean, we're just listening to his show, but he gives you some inside scoop is like what it takes to start a business, start a podcast specifically. And so through that show, me, I mean, that was like going on as me and Aaron were like doing the early episodes of the podcast. Um, so we wouldn't p- pretend like Alex Bloomberg is like someone we can call, but we did listen to a lot of Gimlet Media production. Like they have a lot of different shows out that are all fantastic. And those were kind of like setting the bar pretty high in terms of like how we wanted to perform. I, I did try to reach out to him on LinkedIn. What? And, yeah, but no response. That was that was like right after I finished listening to Startup Podcast because I was like, Look, I, I, you know, I just, I did, I wanted a mentor. I wanted somebody to help kind of guide us through this, you know, how do we, how do we make it bigger, better? And, but yeah, nothing. That's Freaks. crazy. That would have been crazy if he would have hit Don't back. Don't give up, Aaron. Keep trying. He, do we only harass him? Keep, keep harassing him. He worked for me. <laughs> That's how we got Mary on, right? Yep. That's right. <laughs> no, I was, I think this is just the coolest. I think people doing things outside of IR... I mean, I love the cath lab. I would never give it up, but I'm always fascinated by people because as you're talking, it's not easy. I mean, the OBL world is the same. I mean, it's when you're three years down the road, you look back and say, oh yeah, you feel you have a degree of success, but the ups and downs and ups and downs and highs and lows and then, you know, the work, the work it goes into it. Yeah, that's for sure. Was there ever a time that you wanted to not proceed? that you thought, ah, it was fun dabbling in this, but we're going to stop. There were times early on with the app where, you know, especially when we, when that engagement plateaued with people like not really coming back to the app to fill out reviews. And, you know, I'm like texting people, calling people, Hey man, can you leave a review for the Denali filter for me? Or, you know, I'm like hounding people to try to get them back on. And I was just like, uh, where, you know, where is this going to go? How do I, how do I keep this moving forward? That, that was kind of like when I almost had, and then, and then the podcast came along, you know, kind of rejuvenated everything, the energy. So you, and right now with the podcast with people, I mean, I, I get the sense that everybody in the world wants to be on this now. It seems like, I mean, the ideas are just endless and I'm going to guess you have people coming who now the tables have turned. They want you probably have a long list, I would think, of people. That has been a really nice thing, actually. When we were just starting to do it, it was, it wasn't something I looked forward to doing, was asking the people to do it. Because I knew, you know, because they didn't know who we were. And 
you know, we're asking them to, to give up a lot of their time and I'd, I'd email them and I'd, I, would, I would always be embarrassed when I'd ask them, I was like, hey, you know, can you please just come do this? And so, I, you know, we would start with people we knew. That's why there was a lot of Vanderbilt and Penn early on. And, and it has gotten to the point now, we'll get an email like, hey, can, we, can I please come and, and talk? And, and sometimes <laughs> the answer isn't always yes. And, uh, <laughs> and that, has been, that has been a really nice thing because there are a lot of people with a lot of great ideas that we didn't think of. And, uh, and, and we want people that want to come on. Like, I, I, I like that I don't have to try to talk people into coming on. And, and now that people, they know who we are, you know, we're, it's easier for it to get, to get people who want to come and talk or enthusiastic and that makes for a better show. And I imagine you're getting at this point, people who want to be on to kind of as a method of their own social media production, they want, right. They want to market themselves or something about them. How do you handle that? Yeah, there's a little bit of that, but you know, I, I, I always think about it as that's really what we do. I mean, that's what we've been doing from the very beginning is, is showing off people's skill sets and the fact that they're experts. And, and that's part of why I enjoy it. I mean, whether they have their own agenda, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me. It's just, if it's, if it's good content and if it's educational, then let's put them, let's put it out there. Yeah. I will say that, I mean, I don't think we've always had it right. I mean, I think it's it, like we continue to like, ex can, we, we, it's a constant process of dialing in exactly what we wanted the show. I mean, we've certainly done, I don't think we've ever put out an episode that we weren't proud of, but we certainly have earlier episodes where we thought like, oh, we missed the mark on that, or maybe that sounded too industry, or maybe this guy was in it just to talk about his blog. N not that I can ever think of an instance where that actually happened. But, you know, that's something like we we do talk about and it's like a deliberate process. And to echo what Mike said, like it's it's been a fantastic switch in terms of like now it's less of a ask to try and get someone on the podcast. And I feel like we get more requests, but we still have to ask people to come on podcasts because we always are trying to find like the right person for the right topic. Generally speaking, I feel like we find the topic and then try and find someone to fill the topic once we know what we want to do. Is that what you say? Yeah. yeah. Well, and when people know that, that, People are going to be listening. Like these are things that people want to be talking about. You know, like they're they're topics that you know a lot of these people are in academics and and a lot of them aren't. But you know, there's a lot of altruism that comes into you know educating the community and and, and I think it's useful to know that people are listening. Like if I'm going to do a podcast and four people are going to listen, like is that really worth my time? Yeah, totally. Now, and and Mary, you mentioned like the you know endless possibilities in terms of topics. I have to agree with that because you could have you know, five different people on to talk about one topic and they're all going to bring up different things and, and different tips and tricks. And so I do think that the, the topics are endless, even just for our specialty. And, you know, and then when you bring on additional hosts that continues to multiply, because now we have Sabine Don, who is a great addition, you know, his, you know, what, what he does in practice complements, you know, what, what we do or, you know, because I don't do stroke. I don't do a lot of the stuff that's, I mean, Sabine does a lot of stuff that, that, that Chris, Mike, and I don't do. And so, and he has a whole separate network. So he has other guests that he can bring on, cover, cover other topics. Same thing with Brian Hartley. You know, he's focused on innovation. And so he's bringing on people that, you know, we wouldn't have been able to bring on before to talk about those things. So as you, as we continue to grow and bring on more hosts, the, the, the topics and the, and the, and the guests continue to increase as well. And I think bringing on Hartley sounds so interesting. I can't wait to see what uh, he talks about over the next year. Why don't 
why don't you, I mean, I, I haven't written down in my notes, but why don't you go over who the, who the accessory guys are and what they are. I shouldn't call them accessories. Who, who the entire team is yeah. and why kind of you picked these guys. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with Brian just because to be honest, he, you know, he's another Vanderbilt guy. So Brian, so Brian was a second year resident. I remember he was my first resident on my first, in my first three months. Was it, were they one month or two month rotations? One. You guys did. Well, Tara was, I was six weeks though, I think. Maybe I not. Six, yeah. Maybe that not. sounds about right. I think he was on six <laughs> weeks and Brian was my first resident. And so, you know, we kind of hit it off from the very beginning. He stayed on and did a fellowship at Vanderbilt. We stayed in touch. He then went to do the bioinnovation, biodesign program at Stanford, and and he how he now runs a a device company in uh, Silicon Valley. And so he's gotten to know all those guys up at Stanford, Rusty Hoffman, Dan Z, and built a network out there. And so you know we just finished up a great a, a great interview with Rusty Hoffman, which I can't wait to put that one out, telling the story of of Grand Rounds. But Brian doesn't really practice IR anymore. So he's just focused on in a, the sort of innovation field. Uh, Sabine, you know, Sabine started, he also was an early guest, right? Mike, that was one of your first, having yeah. Sabine and Kumar on. That was a really good episode too. Yeah, yeah. And those guys all met through Twitter, right? That was all like yeah. the TwitIR network. And that's how we started when we were inviting people. Mike Watts, Omar Saleh. Sabine, Kumar, I mean, a lot of those guys, we just met through Twitter and the, the cases that were being shared there. And so Sabine's been a great addition. Again, like I said before, just he does a lot of wild stuff and he, he's got a really wide network when it comes to stroke and, and PAD. And then um, that's it for- Bryant our... Smiths. You have Anish, oh, uh, Bryant, Bryant, yeah. Sabine. got to talk about Bryant. And Lauren. Yeah. Don't forget about Lauren Fang, Matt. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. But so, no, there's so many people though. Like the, the back table network is bigger than that. Like, so can I give a shout out to Bryant? Cause Brian, yes, yeah, 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 about Brian. yeah okay. so Bryant, Bryant is, he's an all, he's a Swiss army knife in the back table, you know, war chest. He has been a guy that has done like social media. He built out our entire website. He does a lot of marketing stuff for us. He was a former industry insider. I, what, what did he, I forgot what company. He was with Boston Scientific. He was, yeah, he was with engineer. Boston Sci and then Pearl and then guy turned entrepreneur. He actually has his own business where he uh, basically helps physicians build out their marketing practice. Like he did for Aaron's vein practice in his former life. That's how Bryant and Aaron connected. And so that was kind of the role that he was filling for Backtable. And now he does so much for our company in terms of like man hours and in terms of like onboarding new people in terms of getting our blog out, our newsletter, our website, which is awesome. It's actually a web app as Aaron and Bryant like to call it. So you can get it for your phone. So yeah. So shout out to Bryant. He's, he's the man. Yeah. I think that what maybe listeners may not know and what's coming across, which actually makes sense to me now is you guys are doing this with people with some incredible expertise. And I mean, that job that you just described is very difficult and, uh, it's like making a website is a lot harder than we think it is until we try to do it. So your infrastructure has, you have the right building blocks everywhere around you to be able to do this. And it's not just sitting down and interviewing people. You have all this other stuff happening. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been very much been a, like a process of like trial and error. Like for all the people that we named, there have been people who have not worked out with us. You know, you know, we wish we could say that every time we made a hire, it was for somebody for life, but yeah, you know, we've been some some people and some some miscues uh, along the way, but Brian's been incredible. 
man, Xander, who has now moved on to radiology residency, he used to be a medical student that was originally the guy doing our blogs. Xander was awesome. We got Lauren Fang. Who's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Uh, what, yeah. So we, we, have, we have like had a network of back table um, people like come through and, you know, for a lot of people, oh, in Devin, Devin's also like working with me so hard to like get the website up and going. He like constantly produces content to like put on the website for like interventional radiology procedures. There's a, the, you know, the teamwork, the teamwork makes the dream work is very much true. There are a lot of people who are not on the podcast show that make us look good in terms of produ production, post-procedure editing, our newsletter, our blogs, our show notes, which Jesus, we didn't have show notes until like 20 episodes ago. And I'd been talking about it like since episode like 30. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to answer this question, but are you guys a company with like yeah. you have all these people, like you have benefits and payroll or no, no, everybody HR system or no, nah, I mean, everybody's essentially an independent contractor. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't have like, you know, full-time employees. They're all basically part-timers that help yeah. out. And, you know, it, it's a medical platform. So we, a lot of the people that Chris is mentioning, they all have some sort of medical background, whether it be they med students or even pre-med, they have some interest in medicine in, 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 you know, cause that's very important. You can't just hire anybody, even for social media stuff, you know, you gotta, you gotta have, you gotta know the lingo. You gotta have some know-how in terms of like being involved with this sort of thing. Yeah. And like the, and the things that they produce are really high quality and like, you know, it doesn't go unnoticed that like they're doing this while they're either in medical school and or residency. So, you know, yeah, they're, they're fantastic. We love those guys. I hope you guys have a um, non-compete, Aaron and Mike. We know, we know, you know, Beck Table is <laughs> He's probably just, yeah. you know. Always around the corner. Stealing and don't forget it. about your mom who produced these sweatshirts, right? Oh, my Shout God. Out. Talk yeah. about the swag. I wanted to get these for my lab. I said, who's your vendor? It's his mom. Yeah, it's funny because Sonny Bagla reached out the other day, too. Like, hey, man, I need, I need hoodies like these for my workers. And uh, so I put him in touch with my mom. So I can do that for you as well, if you want. Well, I would love that because okay. I actually went to order these kinds of sweatshirts off of uh, another site. Yeah. And Spencer walked by and he saw him in the cart and he's like, why are you ordering 16 Ablin's cotton sweatshirts? Whatever it was, it was like, I was like, because I want it to be heavy, just like the Aaron sweatshirt. And he's like, yeah, that's probably six ounce. You, you, what do you, you don't even know what you're doing. <laughs> and I just figured it was like the heaviest and navy. No, right. definitely not. No, <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've learned a lot about sweatshirts through this whole process because we had some bad ones that that oh. don't. You know, if you go to the merch store, you actually can't get those originals because they're they're actually on back order. So interesting side story. The I can't get these right now because this the the manufacturer switched to making masks, and oh. so the I don't know if it's the fabrics on short order or what, <laughs> but or they just COVID. Stop. Just everything. So hopefully they'll they'll ramp it up again soon. What I would yeah. like to get is is how about back table glasses, like lead line Ooh. back table glasses. Yeah. Can <laughs> can we segue? I don't know if this is uh I don't know if anyone knows this story. Can we tell the story about the back table introduction music? I mean we've oh, yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah. You want it too, Chris? Since it was kinda it was, it was kinda, discovered on your episode. Yeah, I guess right. so. I'll tell it, but Fill in the gaps for me because sure. I'm sure there's parts that I don't remember. So the current back table introduction music 
is uh, what's the name of the band, Darren? Is it Ripperoo? Skeptic Moon. Skeptic Moon. The the song that we have is Ripperoo, and it is a band based out of New Orleans. They're a jazz band, but the uh, inside scoop is that one of the band members is Dan Z's son, who is at wow. Tulane uh, studying music. At uh, is he at Tulane or uh, Tulane? Yeah, yeah, he's at Tulane. So. Like me and Aaron have, I mean, I don't know how many songs Aaron's listened to, but you know, you can't just use any song. I mean, you can't use anything by Ozzy Osbourne. You don't have the rights to it. So there's like, you can go to these websites like Audio Jungle and you can listen to song after song after song until you just want to pull your hair out. And even if you find something you like, sometimes it just doesn't work with the show. And for some reason, like this song, I mean, I think like both me and Aaron independently really liked it. And felt like it, for some reason, like struck the tone of the show, had the right feel to it. We loved that it was based out of New Orleans, which is where Aaron did his medical school. I'm based out of night right now. Mike's, Mike's an hour and away. And then also like to have the, the Dan Z connection was just like an added bonus for us. And so we thought that was so cool. So you didn't know it was Dan Z's kid until after you picked it? I think Dan told us that he had a son who was doing like had a band in New Orleans and that made us independently like check out the music. And then when Aaron listened to it, he was like, wow, this would be awesome for the podcast. And then he reached out to younger Z and like he he had to run it by his band to see if we could have permission to play it. That's so cool. Dan Z Jr. What's his band? Skeptic Moon. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. You guys said that. Okay. So shout out to Skeptic Moon. Wow. I hope my kids are creative like that. You know, yeah. the, the one thing I um, noticed about Backtable, which I thought was really cool, is you guys are also documenting history in IR. And you're doing that through the current topics of today. I mean, I, I love historical medicine when you look back and just how things have changed even over my lifetime in it. And then, you know, we, we're in the era now where the, the greats are like retiring, the founding fathers, and you just awesome interview series, the Western Angio series. I'd love to hear how that came about. But when you you captured these incredible like stories from early IR and you're doing that right now by capturing current day stories. So I really appreciate the historical aspect of what you're doing. Can you tell me how the Western Angio series came about? Yeah. So we were supposed to be on site at Western Angio and uh, we were going to do Probably it was going to be more like interview style, like we usually do. Like, you know, a couple of years ago, we did Brooke Spencer and Isabel Newton, Peter Horner, Sabine Don came on and we were talking about disease processes and that was the original plan. And then when COVID happened, I was talking to Susan Jackson, the executive director, and she was like, you know, we don't, we want to do something, but we're not quite sure what. And would you guys be willing to do like a history of Western Angio podcast? I said, yeah, that sounds great. Like, you know, sign us up. And so we kind of went back and forth. She, she threw out a bunch of ideas in terms of people to bring on. And we ended up with Dan who came on and told a hilarious story about his first Western Angio. (laughs) And, and then uh, I wish that one was, I really liked that interview. That, that one was one of my favorites. And then we had Ernie Ring with Maureen Cohey, which I know, you know, that was excellent because Ernie is Maureen's mentor. And so that was, you know, he told some great stories about early, early tips. And then who was the third one we had on? It was Comfy. Oh yeah. David Comfy. Yeah. And so Peter Horner is such a history buff 
that, you know, I knew I wanted him to do at least one of the interviews. And so he was like, you know, sign me up for Compy. And it would just worked out. And, and I, that we've gotten a lot of great feedback about those, like for the same reasons you mentioned, just people loving to hear about the, the history of this stuff. I don't know how Peter Horner has so many hobbies. He's a cyclist. He restores cars. He listens to music. He skis. I'm like, when do you work? What yeah, when does he do any IR? That's what I'm wondering also. He's a music aficionado. Mm -hmm. he, he does it all. Yeah. Yeah. He's like always in the back country, like, you know. Living off the land. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. A couple just, of us want to grow up to be Peter Horner, basically. He's just, <laughs> I, I text with him a lot and he's just interesting. Yeah. I know. So what's your definition of success for your podcast? And what's your, we've already talked about a successful interview, so. What is your definition of success for the podcast? Oh, I bet you we all have different answers. Let's start yeah. with Fritz. No, no, we should end with you. Okay. okay. I'll, I'll go first and then Michael and then Aaron. For me, success would be if there were a couple of things, but if Backtable didn't just end at being a podcast, like I always thought there's, there's a lot of knowledge that gets, that's in between fellowship slash residency and academia and it's like for me like I, I feel like there was just so much that just was like not being captured that's just kind of lost through like if you have like kind of a narrow network which I, I mean I don't know if some people this resonates with but like when you're in private practice it can oftentimes feel like you're on an island out there and you don't have the same camaraderie or the same like uh, mentorship that you might have like in an academic practice so for me success would be if we can help those practitioners, whether it be in academia or private practice, like bridge that gap between, you know, what people in academics are, are putting in papers, what you're hearing at SIR and other conferences, if we can bring some of that knowledge to make it more accessible, and then in the process kind of change how people are consuming their IR education, that would be success to me. And the other, and the other part that would be success to me, it would be if Backtable became like a uh, a verb, like if you were like, if like or the app, which I, I still got that tables. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's not what I had in mind. I was thinking like, if you, if you Sounds had to dirty. back, yeah, if someone was like, oh, just uh, back table it. Like, as if like, that would be uh -oh. the way to like, go and find out the answer. Like you would just oh, go oh, to, oh, oh. yeah, like you would just go to back table podcast, our YouTube channel or our website. And that's how you found the answer. Like Googled. Like, did Google do that? Did Google? No, no, I'm saying like, we say Google it. You would yeah, think. I know, I know. <laughs> and right? Chris, Chris mentioned that early on. I remember you saying that, like one of the first things, Chris, when I went, I went back to it would be a verb. <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, I still, I think, I still think that's like, I mean, that's when you really made it and, yeah, you know, true. yeah, like in a fact table, like, and I don't know what Michael's answer or Aaron's going to answer is going to be. But I strongly suspect that no one cares if we ever make a dime off of Backtable. But if 30 years from now, like this is our legacy and we're handing over to another bunch of interventional radiologists who want to take it over, then that would be wild, tremendous success that I would be thrilled about. And that's what you have to, I mean, these are passion projects. If you go into these kinds of things for the money, I imagine you probably could do better spending your well-educated time somewhere else. And it's a good idea. This can go on forever with just a different generation of folks. I think for me, success is is simply just being a valuable resource. You know, you know, a, a source that can help. You know, somebody at pretty any any stage of his or her career in interventional radiology, or ultimately, you know, if we're able to expand into other specialties, 
you know, for people with different specialties. I, I just want to be able to create valuable content, but but have it be something that's useful for everyone. You know, it's not just for for trainees. It's not just for people in academics, but, you know, just a source of reliable content. And Aaron, final words from our founder, Aaron Fritz, describing what would make Backtable successful in your eyes. I mean, it's it sounds corny, but I always, I already feel like it's successful beyond my wildest dreams. I mean, I never thought that we would be, you know, have this kind of following in terms of, you know, people listening to the podcast and, and, and be able to build this amazing team, like have these guys, you know, all in, this, all in the same corner, you know, with a common goal and, and all in the same wavelength is pretty amazing. And so I really f- feel grateful for that in terms of, I, you know, I just want to keep growing and keep evolving. You know, we've evolved so much since the first podcast. Here we are a hundred episodes later. And we have so many ideas coming out in 2021, you know, kind of like along the lines of what Chris and Mike were saying, you know, I'm not a research guy. I never, I never was, I'm not going to probably invent a new device, but this is my way to contribute back to our specialty and to medicine itself. And so just the fact that I'm able to make an impact in a, in a different way as uh, means a lot to me. So success to me is just to keep you know, keep evolving. And, you know, like I said before, we're, we're planning on growing into multiple specialties, continuing this collaborative feel that we had, the collaborative vibe that we have. A lot of our kind of spin-off shows come from having great guests, you know, on, on the IR side in these cross-specialty cross episodes. And so, you know, Gopi's got back to ENT going, you know, we're going to have some other specialties coming out in 2021. So I'm really looking forward to the future. Okay, and so we can end on some some fun favorite moment of Backtable history. Favorite story, moment, top of your head, thing that stands out the most. I had a blast doing the paintballing and I was just <laughs> shooting up Michael. I was just like defeating these clowns in paintball because I was the one who was the best at it. You lost consistently. I shot everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I bled. Well, thank you so much for spending Sunday with me. Thank you. That was fun. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. I have done awesome. an incredible job, and this is such a cool and unique thing that you brought in through so much hard work. I don't think it goes unnoticed in the IR community, and I have a feeling in multiple other medical communities, but I bet there's a lot of people out there wondering how you did it all. So this was really interesting. Thank you so much, Mary. Thank, thank you for you. spending the time. Yeah, taking the for, time. Yeah. Yeah. And also being a recurring, you know, guest and host on the show. And we, we hope right. that we'll have you on more in the, in 2021 in the future. Only if I get one of those black and gold sweatshirts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Myself, but it'll be too heavy. <laughs> if I don't, if I don't get wet air, I can win. Bye. All right, guys. Thank you yeah, so much. Fun. Thank you.